0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. You would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13 this morning. Luke chapter 13. See why they don't let me do announcements very often? They take too long. I know. But it's all good information. We've been studying the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make we'll get you one, one right behind you, Dan. And uh, Luke chapter thirteen. We're doing a study called the um, Follow Me series: the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And we've been just just trucking through Jesus's life as we believe it's kind of gone and and we we were in John and now we come back to Luke and we'll be in Luke for several um, several weeks couple months probably and um, uh, Luke is writing not not necess- he's not an eyewitness but he is writing by who many believe to be the eyewitness account of, of Peter so Luke is sitting there talking to Peter and Luke was a doctor so he's very detailed and he's getting all kinds of information and you know he's he's jotting it down but the Holy Spirit is using Luke in a specific way to present Jesus, a, a Jesus, one of Jesus' particular characteristics. If you were with us last week, you'll know the answer to this. What is Luke presenting? What characteristic is, is Luke presenting about Jesus? What characteristic is he writing about? Any ideas? Did you guys listen last week? You did, I know you did, but it's hard. What? It's, it's, it's Jesus, he's, he's talking, presenting Jesus as the, the man of God, as the perfect human being. Je- Jesus and his humanity is what really Luke is presenting, is the Holy Spirit would inspire him to write in that way, to present him as the perfect man. Not to take away from his deity at all, but to highlight the fact that Jesus truly was a man. That He came and was birthed just like you and I are birthed. And he, he, he learned just like you and I learn, And He grew just like you and I grow. Yet he, was in, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was, the Holy Spirit was upon Him. And He empowered Him to do all that He did. He lived the, per, the perfect uh, human life. And what He did is became an example for you and I and he said you know if you just follow me we we can we can sort of cast off that call and say well of course you did everything perfect you're God but no he limited himself you can read Philippians chapter 2 he emptied himself of his glory and he becomes submissive to the father's will and he did it exactly the way you and I are called to do it empowered by the Holy Spirit that's how Jesus lived when he was 12 years old he sat at the temple and people were confounded By his knowledge. And yet, the Gospel writer would say that Jesus continued to grow in the knowledge. The Scriptures. So Jesus learned. So don't give yourself an easy out and say, well, he was God. Well, of course he's God, but he was a man. And he submitted himself to the power of the Holy Spirit just like you have. Everything Jesus did, you have the power to do in the Holy Spirit. Everything that he did. And so, our job is to submit and surrender and walk in him that's it simply put difficult to do for some reason we we're fighters in the bad way we want to fight god on this call yet he says just submit to me and you'll be like jesus well, well luke brings us to a place where he is going to reveal to us today the door of eternity and what that looks like stand with me if you would we're going to read luke chapter 13 beginning in verse 22 and lord willing we will go through verse 35 luke chapter 13 beginning in verse 22 we read he went on his way through towns and villages teaching and journeying towards jerusalem and someone said to him lord will those who are saved be few and he said to them strive to enter the narrow door for many i tell you will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you I do not know where you come from. Depart from me all you workers of evil. In that place where there, there uh, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, people will come from east and west and from north to south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. The very hour some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood, under her wings and you were not willing behold your house is forsaken and i tell you you will not see me until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord father we thank you for your word now lord we come before this time humbled and we come surrendered submissive lord to what you want to speak to us about Your Word has authority in our life. We give ourselves over to You now, Lord, and we ask that You would work as only You can. You would speak to our hearts, that You would change us and help us to become more like Jesus. That's our prayer. Help us to know You and make You known, Lord. We love You. We thank You. We pray for Your Holy Spirit to direct and lead now and to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you in this room would say that you're 100% interested in the truth no matter how m- it makes you feel? How many of you guys would say, yeah, that's me, man. I'm 100%. I'm, I'm all into the truth. I just want to know the truth. Um, you know, that, that would be me. W- would you say the majority of you guys are in that camp? Say the majority of you are. I- I'm not calling you a liar. It might sound like it, but I'm not. I'm not going to call you a liar, but what I'm going to say is that sometimes that's true but not all of the time. Not all the time are we interested in, in the truth, but sometimes we're, we're interested in this. Fellas, let me ask you a question. If your wife asks you a question like, hey, do my clothes make me look fat? And you reply to her, well, it's not really the clothes that make you look fat, but more your body. You know, that is one of those questions that she, she doesn't really want to know the whole truth. She's just asking you like, hey, is this a little too snug to wear outside? of the house you're not really asking to be that blatantly honest but you know uh, or, or for instance if 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 you know somebody comes up to you and they say hey does my hair look funny today and you say well no your hair looks funny all the time I mean you know it's it that that's just how it is you that, that that might I promise you you're not getting a thank you card in the mail thank you for insulting me about my hair that's not gonna happen you may get a car bomb maybe you know a nasty gram but you're not getting a thank you card Right, So so that's not the way it works because, yes, we're interested in truth to a point. We are interested in knowing the truth to a point when it becomes uncomfortable for us, that's when we cower back from the truth. We say, hold on a second. I don't know if I really want to hear that. I ask the question, but I'm not sure that I'm prepared for the answer. That is what Jesus is facing here with the crowd that he's dealing with. Jesus never shook truth. He always presented truth. And, and I would say that there's a way that you can present truth. There's a, there's a way that you, as you present truth, that you can do it in a gentle and caring and loving manner. And you can do it in a harsh and, you know, really, um, you know, repelling kind of way. You can do it one or the other. I think Jesus always did it, um, you know, gentle. And, and he, I don't think that he presented it in a way, uh, you know, the, the, most, the least offensive way that you can, because you can say it in a lot of different ways. But Jesus did present the truth. And many people weren't appreciative of Jesus because of that. They didn't really like the fact that He would come and He would say what the Word says. He would tell people what the Word says and that the Word being true and being true to us, when it was presented, sometimes caused people to cower back and run away because they didn't want to hear what He was saying. I would say we're all that way. See, that we're all in that camp when it comes... Sometimes we ask God a question. God, why aren't you doing this? Or why did you allow that? And God reveals something in your life through His Word, and and now all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I didn't want to hear that. why just say that to me, Lord? I didn't want to hear that. I'm I'm sorry I asked almost. This is the kind of people that Jesus is meeting with as He is journeying along His way. We want to know the truth, but sometimes... The truth is really hard to swallow jesus is going to say something today in this passage that is really hard to swallow the fact of the matter is that not all people go to heaven and that's difficult to handle because if you're like me which you are you have family members that don't know jesus that aren't in right relationship with Jesus. And so we want to water it down because we care for our family members, we love them, and we don't want to see them perish. And so we say, well, yeah, he has a relationship with Jesus. Really? Because I don't see it. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be harsh with you, but the truth is that I don't see the fruit of salvation in this person's life. And you feel crushed, right? Whoa, that was too much. I didn't want to hear it. You need to hear it. You need to hear it. Because here's the thing is, what we find is that there is a door that's open to eternity for a period of time, and then it shuts. And when it shuts, it's shut. There is no opening it back up. And I believe as believers here today, that should produce a, a, a crazy, like, a driven, you know, vision for this world that would say, I am, I'm going to pursue the lost because the door is shutting on my family members. The door is shutting on my friends that are in my neighborhood. The door is shutting on you know, all of my co-workers that I, that I hang out with at lunchtime. It's, it's going to shut one day. And if we don't continually press forward and, and share the Gospel, I would say as the Lord leads, But if we don't have that passion in our heart like Jesus does for the lost here, we're going to miss the opportunity. Now, I don't believe that there are any regrets in heaven, but I believe there are a lot of regrets on earth. I don't believe when we go to heaven, we're going to be like, man, I should have shared the gospel more with these people. I don't think that we're going to feel that way because we will be perfect and we will have been dealt with and everything that we didn't do right and, and, and didn't do at all is covered by the blood of Jesus. No more tears, no more sorrow, none of that stuff. But I will tell you that stuff happens and in a moment your family member's gone. And in a moment your friend is, is gone. The door shut. And if you hadn't brought the Gospel to them, the weight of that for the rest of your life, this is a warning. This is, this is, I, believe, I believe the Lord's speaking to all of us here, including me, that we need to be about His business and His business is about lost people. His business is about those people who aren't in right relationship with God that we would go and we would help them know Him. And then as they would know Him, then they would be, become like you and I who are going out and making Him known. And that's the mission of our church. To know Christ and to make Him known. That we would faithfully present the Gospel and you know, not just on Sunday mornings but throughout the entire week through a body of believers that believes what the Word of God says. That believes that if anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. That believes that it's by faith, by grace through faith, that we are saved and not by works. The fact that all the work has been done for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. As he hung, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. And we present that gospel to people. That's the good news. The not so good news of the gospel is that you have to surrender your life to it. And for some people, that's why they don't come to Christ. Because it costs you something. You know, people say, hey, the gospel doesn't cost you anything. It costs you a lot. It costs you your life. Jesus says, if you want to gain your life, you must lose it. What he's talking about is you have to die. You have to be put in that grave, just like Jesus was put in the grave. And you are risen up again, just like he was risen in him. It's no longer you who live, Paul would say. But it's Christ who lives in you you're dead your life is his you are no longer your own oh by the way you weren't your own in the first place you were his you belong to him anyway and so <coughs> oftentimes when we hear the gospel full throttle you know and we present it to people they cower away They say man that's too radical for me well The fact of the matter is the truth is sometimes radical. The truth is sometimes difficult to swallow. The truth is sometimes hard to hear. But that doesn't make it any less true. Jesus is dealing with a group of people here in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30 here, that that are asking him a question about salvation. And do you think that Jesus is going to say, man, I don't know if you can handle that. Oh no, he's gonna tell them. And he's not gonna hold back the, the full on truth because the reality is, as hard as it is to hear sometimes, it's necessary. As hard as it is to hear, it's necessary. The first thing that we find Jesus doing is responding to a question. Look at me, look with me at verse 22 there. He says, Jesus was going on his way throughout towns and villages, teaching and journeying uh, toward Jerusalem, and someone said to him, Lord, Well, those who are saved be few. Last week, we came to a place where Jesus was in Jerusalem. It was winter, and he was there celebrating the Feast of Dedications or Hanukkah. And after being surrounded by the religious leaders with stones in their hands and they were ready to to, to kill him, it tells us that he crossed the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing. That's where we pick it up today. Jesus has just been in the temple. He's been in Solomon's colonnade and he had this dialogue with the religious leaders about, you know, I can't remember what he's talking about now. Anybody remember? Now he was talking to them about being the sovereign shepherd. The reality that he is sovereign in all things. And they didn't like his words. Again, truth is hard to hear. And so they wanted to kill him. So Jesus flees from them after dropping some knowledge on them. He leaves that place and he comes to this place and now he's kind of journeying through different villages and towns and it says here that he has, um, he's journeying towards Jerusalem. Now that's an interesting phrase in the book of of Luke because when Luke references that Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem in in this way, in this manner, he's not just talking about a physical location that Jesus is going to. He's talking about a spiritual journey that Jesus is about to fulfill the journey, the spiritual journey to Jerusalem. We find the same phrase in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, that i.e., when Jesus was going to die, rise again, and then ascend into heaven. When, when that time was drawing near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is on a spiritual journey. He's not just traveling through Israel going, wow, this is a cool place. Look at all the history here. David fought Goliath right here, you know. This is the battle where, you know, this happened or whatever. Jesus is journeying through these places, teaching people about the repentance and the requirement to turn away from their sin and to turn to Him. He's talking about the gospel to these people because they need to be saved. And He's on a spiritual journey towards Jerusalem where He will ultimately pay the price for all sinners. Where He will lay down His life for us. Where He will be beaten and brutalized for us. His blood will be shed for our, for our sin. And then He will rise victoriously. That anyone who would, who would put their faith in Him would also rise victoriously. That's the journey that's being talked about here. His face is set towards Jerusalem. In terms of an acknowledgement that time is short. He's only four to five months away now. From the cross. And, and his ministry is amplifying. He is continuing to press forward. He's, he's focused on his disciples. And, and as he journeys through these towns and villages. He's teaching them how to minister. His job is to, to leave them with, with uh, enough training. That they can go into the world. And continue on carrying the gospel into the world. Don't you think he did a good job? 2,000 years later we're here as a result of the disciples that took the Gospel into the world. Twelve guys that became 120, that became 5,000, that became innumerable. They were faithful with the call. You and I have the same call today. We have that exact call as they did to take the Gospel into the world. He prepared them and He's preparing you. And He has prepared you. You don't have to be a theologian. These guys were blue-collar workers that Jesus called into ministry and He said, listen, I want you to just be fishers of men, Peter. Paul, I know you make tents, but I want you to help people to not focus on the physical tent, but realize there's a spiritual tent that they're going to inhabit if they come to Me. Not to get too caught up on the physical side of it, but on the horizontal life, but to, to continue to remind people that if there is a vertical life that exists, And if you don't find it today, one day when the door shuts, you will find it. And it won't be a pleasant life. That's the call for us. Jesus was teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem, uh, preparing both Himself and those whom were following for His departure. As He's doing this, He encounters this curious fellow here who who asks Jesus an age-old Jewish question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? The question seems innocent at first glance, doesn't it? But historical commentary would tell us <coughs> that it's not so innocent. It's more of a hook that, that is uh, laid out to draw Jesus into a, um, a, a debate that's been going on since the inception of the religious leaders. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the rabbis uh, have been discussing and continue to insu- discuss the idea of how many not people... Are going to make it to heaven but how many Jews how many Jews are going to make it to heaven really the question could be rephrased Jesus will there be few Jews in heaven not people because not all people are equal in their eyes some people were created for hell some people were created for heaven if you were Jewish you were created for heaven if you were not Jewish you were not created for heaven that that was a lot of their mindset not everybody felt that way that's why there was a debate some believed that if you were just Jewish in general, you would go to heaven. That if you had Abraham's blood running through you somewhere down the line, your lineage led back to him in some way, shape, or form, you were a shoeing in for heaven. There was no, nothing else for you to do. And then there was the other side that said, oh, no, only few. Only the faithful go. So the question to Jesus is really that. Hey, Jesus, which, one, which side of the camp are you on? be careful that you don't get drawn into worldly debates that really are not biblical at all. That conversation is not biblical at all. Both of them are wrong. It's not just Jews first and foremost. It's everybody. Everybody's called to heaven. And Jesus doesn't really even respond to that. He doesn't get drawn into it. He talks about salvation. There's a great example for you and I when we're you know, in the world ministering to people and they want to draw us into this conversation that really is not biblical number one and, and, and it's just uh, really opinions of man. Beware of that. Jesus just sticks to the truth. He sticks to the Word. Stick to the Word. It doesn't matter what you think about a subject. What does the Word say about the subject? It doesn't matter you know, what your opinion is about this. What does the Word say about it? And yes, we can both be in the Word on a particular subject and we may come up with different variances of that and that happens that's okay but we always have to keep an open mind to the holy spirit and what he wants to teach us you know we, we can't ever get to a place where, where we think we know it all if they would only believe what i believe we'd be good you know i've been saying that for years it hasn't worked out for me yet if only my wife would see it my way if only my kids would do it my way you get the point Jesus isn't going to get in the midst of this conversation, but He is going to speak truth. And He is going to reveal that, yes, it is few. Not many. But it's not Jews, but it's everyone. Jesus, notice, doesn't answer the man, but he, he turns to everyone present. We don't know how many people that is or who they are, but what we know is He turns to them, and He answers to them in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. Listen, when it comes to being saved, that's the big picture subject that's being talked about here. How many are saved, Jesus? Let's talk about salvation. Well, let me tell you, when it comes to talk about salvation, we're talking about being saved. Jesus points us to a door. So you want to talk about salvation, we've got to talk about the door. There's no salvation without the door. Some of your versions may say gate. Same idea. The gates are actually a really cool illustration when you when you think about it, because at the gate of a city was where all the judgment was done. At the gate of a city was where all the judicial stuff was hap- happened, where courts happened, and marriages happened, and legal things happened. Everything happened at the gate. Jesus wants to talk to us about the door. This door is the entrance to a path that leads to eternal life. So it's the door to eternity that he wants to talk about. Hence the the title of my message. Now, you will throughout your life be challenged to enter all kinds of doors that will promise you salvation. All kinds of different doors. There's the door of religion, which the world would say that that's where you are. You're at the door of religion. The world would tell you that, yeah, you're, thanks man, you're at the door of religion. And, uh, and, and what, what, what that door represents is people who are part of a certain religious group are sure to enter heaven, right? Or if only you're just this religion, or if only you're that religion. Of course, we hear if you're not Mormon, you can't go to heaven. If you're not Jehovah, Witness, you don't even go to heaven anyway, so who cares? Unless you're the 144,000, then maybe you, you have a chance. You know, there, there's so many other religions that talk about religion being the way even the Jews was a religious thing you could be a proselyte, convert into Judaism and hey you're good no Jesus door of religion there's the door of good works that we all know very well if only you do enough good things and surely you'll gain the entrance into heaven there's the all-inclusive door you know that door where God lets everybody in eventually whether they have to spend some time in purgatory, whether they have to you know, be reincarnated so many times before they come to that door. Uh, it's an all-inclusive door and He doesn't let anybody out. Everybody gets to come in some way, shape, shape or form. Uh, Jesus didn't talk about any of those doors. Jesus talked about one door that leads to eternal life. He said if you want to find life, you've got to come to this door. What door is He talking about? We know that door to be himself. We know the door that Jesus is pointing us to is himself. We just studied this in January, John chapter 10, where Jesus said in John 10:9, "I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will what? Be saved and will go in and out and find pasture." Jesus Christ is the door. He's the way to enter eternal life. Notice what he says here, he is the door, the door, singular, there is no other door. So we can sit around and talk about all these other doors that, that hypothetically exist that don't exist because Jesus in the word say that there's one door. And it's not by some religious group, that's not the door. It's not by you know, you know any any act of works. It's not by some just uh, you know presumptuous, you know, thought that all everybody goes to heaven? Not any of those things. Jesus said there's one door and I am the door. And if you want to enter the door, you have got to come to me. We have been accused as Christians of being narrow-minded, yeah. Been con- we've been you know, people look at us like you guys are so narrow-minded, man. Well, we are because there's a narrow door we are because there is a narrow way it's singular it's only uh, there's only one door we don't uh, we don't we didn't create that narrowness it was created already before we had anything to do with it when we came to christ we entered through the narrow door we received him in he opened he's the door and he lets us in to the other side of eternity which is the good side of eternity it's the side of eternity that you want to be on he is the only way to get on that path to eternal life to, uh, in heaven as it relates to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. There aren't many ways. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. All singular. Jesus is the only one. How many of you would believe me if I said, hey, I'm going to get in my car right now, and I'm going to drive south on 31. For those of you who don't know that road, it's this road right here. I'm just going to drive south to, to Nashville on 31. It'll get me there. It'll eventually get me to Nashville, right? Because all roads lead to Nashville, right? No, not all roads lead to Nashville. If I get on that road, I'm going to end up in Pulaski, maybe lynched. Who knows? We don't know what's going to happen. If, no, I'm just kidding. But but reality is, if, if I'm going south, I will never get to Nashville, People live their eternal, people base their eternal lives on stuff like that. I'm just gonna get on the road and drive. You know, it'll get me there eventually. You wanna place eternity on that? Oh my goodness. Talk about faith. Talk about faith. Listen, Jesus is the only way. He is He is the only way. And yet. He's exclusive and yet so inclusive. This door being spoken about is an exclusive yet very inclusive door. All are invited and welcome to come, but only those that enter will spend eternity in heaven. Jesus goes on to tell us the type of door it is. It's narrow. It's a narrow door. That means that you can't carry anyone else in there with you. That, that means that you can't carry anything else with you. You come on your own. You come by yourself and you stand at the door and you're going to squeeze through. And if you've got junk in your trunk, you may have a little problem getting in there. But we all got junk in our trunk, right? That's what Jesus is there for, to remove all that so that we can get through. I love what W.F. Besser said about the narrowness of this door. He said, only bent quite low made utterly small, disrobed of all righteousness of our own, and wholly willing to have the coat of the flesh removed from us down to the last rag, can one get through? You hear the depth of what he's talking about here? Disrobing yourself? Laying all of the junk aside behind you and just stripping yourself naked before God. Here I am, Lord, bowing low, Squeezing through. I'm believing in you. Nothing to do with me. Everything to do with you. That's how narrow it is. You can't, it's not Jesus plus you. It's not Jesus plus your works. It's not Jesus plus your knowledge. It's not Jesus plus your religion. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone, and we have to come to that way. We have to come to Him in that way. Uh, The narrowness that's that's requiring us to bow low, to be on our knees, is speaking of repentance. Jesus just got done saying this in Luke chapter 13, verse 5. He said, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. All of you. Unless you repent. That's what's being talked about in this narrowness. It's repentance. It's turning away from your former life and walking in newness of life. It's a decision to make And to reckon the old man dead. And so we have the the door that is a narrow door. You have to come to it one at a time, bowing low in the form of repentance. Notice something else here. Jesus says it requires striving to enter this narrow door. Now, this is interesting language. This could lead you to believe that, oh, it is. There is some work involved. But let me put your mind at ease. There is no work involved. That's not what Jesus is talking about the word strive there in the original Greek language lies at the root of our English word agonize. That word strive there literally means to agonize over. Why are we agonizing over salvation? Because we're agonizing over the death that it produces in us. We have to die to come. We have to lose our lives to gain our life. That's what he's talking about. You're agonizing. You're striving over it. If you're willing to lay down your life, it's no big deal. You just go through. took me 24 years of striving before I came to Christ. Before I finally laid down my life and said, Lord, I'm yours, I surrender. Because we want to fight in a bad way. Lord, I want to stay alive. I want to take this with me. Nope, can't do that. It's not you plus me that makes salvation. It's only me. you got to leave it all behind. That's why some people are confused about salvation. Some people never get to that place where they have security in their salvation because they don't understand it. They don't spend any time. There's no striving. There's no agonizing over what the Word says about salvation, what it talks about in terms of what it, the requirement of you by, by, by grace through faith. Yeah, You believe in Jesus, but it's also a laying down of your life. Hebrews 4.11 says the same thing. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Talking about, you know, He's talking about the Sabbath there. The, the striving to enter into the rest. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This striving is speaking about diligence. Seeking. Agonizing over wanting to know the Lord you'll never just happen to fall into the door. It doesn't happen that way. You don't just back into a wall and fall through the door and you're like, whoa, I'm in heaven now. That's not how it works. And yet that's how it's presented most of the time. Just say a little prayer. Just say a little prayer. You don't have to change. Jesus did it all for you. You have to change. Well, the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. You do change. So if there's no change, I would be highly concerned I'd be highly concerned in my salvation. I would have no security in my salvation if there's no change in my life. If I'm the exact same person I was, that would suggest that you're not in Him. If you're trusting in something else other than Jesus to, to, to be saved, I wouldn't have any security in my salvation because my faithfulness to, to living out His Word, oh my goodness, if you're, if you're uh, real with yourself, man, at your best day, you're still questioning am I good enough? The answer is no. Jesus says that we need to strive. You're not going to happen to fall into the door. You're not going to be forced to enter into the door either. You must strive to find your own way to the door. And then you must enter it. That's what Jesus is speaking about. It's not enough to know about Jesus. You must know Him. It's not enough to have head knowledge, but you must have heart knowledge as in relationship this striving is an effort to satisfy the longing that God has put in your heart to know him and to worship him that's what it's talking about to to where you get to the point where you say nothing else will do but Jesus nothing else will do this striving is really nothing more than seeking to know God you know what i find interesting that people strive to know so many other things. People strive to know you know, h- how to be a doctor. People strive to know how to be a lawyer. People strive to know how to do this or that in this world, a horizontal mindset that says, man, I've got to get this knowledge so, that I can, uh, so I can propel myself in this temporary life. But I'm going to strive and I'm going to know and I'm going to c- consume myself with all of that because it's important so that I can be successful in this world. It's temporal. It's temporal. It's gone in an instant. Seventy some years, that's it, on average. And then it's gone, and you're left with that temporal knowledge. I'm going to put everything I have into, you know, creating a career for myself. I'm going to put everything I have into uh, being, uh, you know, really successful in this life and pr- taking care of my family and all that. That's all good, but... Here's the thing is if you put all that effort into that and you put zero to no effort in knowing God, you failed. You have failed. We should put more effort into knowing the God of the universe who created you, who loved you, who's revealing himself to you. We should put more effort striving to know him than we do in anything else. Some of you know more about your your employee handbook than you know about the Bible. Some people know more about their operating procedures at work than they know about their operating procedures as it relates to Christianity. That's an indictment on us. Jesus is saying if you're not striving, you won't know. You're wondering why am I not growing in the Lord? There's no effort. That's why. There's no effort. God does not fail on His end of the bargain. He's faithful to reveal Himself and He continues to reveal Himself and He brings the Word to us. He lays it out before us. We have responsibility to come and be listeners and receivers and to be appliers in our life. But if we don't put that effort into it, we're never going to grow. And you think like, well, man, I don't understand. Why am I not growing in the Lord? You're putting no effort into it. There is some effort that's required on our end. And that's just to show up show up and open His Word and start reading, and He does the rest. It's a pursuance of Him. All the while, He's already been pursuing you. Like, He's drawing you in. And when you, when you take that step to pursue Him, He's like, wow, boom. And He just he can't wait. Like, He's chomping at the bit from heaven, waiting for you to just take one step forward so that He can just pour out on you everything that He wants you to know. And if you don't put any effort into it, you'll never receive that blessing. That's what he's saying here. We put all kinds of crazy effort into gaining knowledge that can only sustain us temporarily. And many people put little to no effort gaining knowledge that will save their soul and sustain them eternally. We must strive to enter. No one accidentally stumbles upon this door. We have to look for it. And if we look for it, we'll find it. God tells us that. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. If you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. If you seek Him with everything that you have, you will not miss Him. I don't know why God's not revealing Himself to me. I don't understand it. And we want to go run to other people and have God reveal Himself to us through them rather than just spending some time with Him. He's a good, good Father. He wants to teach us. He wants to pour into us. And He will use other people to do that, but He also loves to just spend time with you. Pour into you. That's what Jesus is talking about, as he relates to to striving, to agonize over, to make Jesus the chief activity of your life, of knowing Him, and making Him known. He was stressing that point, and it's an important one because, um, it's it's important that you do that because the door is on a timer. I had you in suspense there for a second. I had myself in suspense. I didn't know what I was going to say. Thankfully, I got notes, you know what I mean? So, verse 24, check this out. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and, the, and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and, and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Open to us and he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. And where you begin uh, to say, we ate and drank in your presence. We did all this stuff. Lord, we listened to your teachings and all this kind of stuff. He's going to tell you, I didn't know you. Depart from me, you workers of evil. Jesus says that there is a group of folks that will seek to enter and will not be able to. Now, I, that, that period in there should not be there. It confuses the flow of the passage. The way that it reads is for, by the way, the punctuation marks and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, all the um, you know, n- uh, verse numbers and all that weren't in the original Scriptures. So when you read something and it doesn't make sense, you can go, hey, maybe that period wasn't supposed to be there. I don't think it was supposed to be there because for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able, period. Boy, quote that. Only some can come. Yikes. But it says, look, I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door. Period, maybe. Maybe that's the way it should have read. The door's on a timer. The door is only open for a certain amount of time. And then it's going to be shut. The key word here is when. When the master of the house rises and shuts the door, what is he talking about? Your life is in his hand. We talked about last week that your life is in his hand. Your eternal life is in his hand. But your physical life is in his hand. You're not departing from this earth until God says it's time for you to go. So in some ways, you can look at yourself as being Superman. You're, you're indestructible in, in a sense. Now, don't go stand in front of a bus. It will not move for you. And that would be testing God. You'll be flattened, and you'll see Him face to face real quick. Here's the thing. Is that God, your physical life is in His hands, and when He decides that the door is shut on you, when, you, when, his, when, you, when your life is over, whatever that might look like, for some people, it's at, some people it's in the womb. For some people, it's 12 years old. For some people, it's you know, down the road when they're 25 or they're 30 or they're 70 or they're 90. Or some people go over 100. Whenever the master decides, when the time is over, he will shut the door. When he shuts the door, you're left with the decisions you made. When he shuts the door, you're left with, with all that you did in this life. That's all you get. There is no second chance. There is no reincarnation. You don't get to come back and take the test over and over again until you pass it. That's not the way it works. The master has a set time and when the time is over, he shuts the door. Now this is interesting because I believe all are invited to come. All have been you know, given the invitation to come into relationship with the Lord. I believe that God draws all men to himself. I believe that it hurts God's heart when people reject him. But here's the thing. Back in this culture when they would extend an invitation for you to come over to someone's house for a celebration a dinner or whatever it might be they would give you an invitation and they would say here come over to my house at 7 p.m. on Friday night and if you would show up you would take your you know whatever you're taking your time and you're, you you don't you don't end up getting there on time at some point during the evening after seven o'clock 701 maybe the master of the house would just get up and he would just shut his door You didn't make it on time. It's not his fault. He gave you an invitation. He said, you're supposed to be here at 7 o'clock. At 7 o'clock, I have the right as the master of the house to shut the door. And when people come up to that door, invitation even in hand. Well, it says 7. Well, what time is it? 7.05. We missed it. He's not obligated to let you in. He gave you the time. He told you 7 o'clock and you missed it. That's salvation. That's, uh, that, this, this, they would understand what Jesus was talking about as the master of the house shutting the door. They understand the invitation that was extended to them. They understand that the person didn't show up on time because it's all about time. And the fact is that the door remained shut on them. And they knocked out on their door and said, Hey, hey we're here. We shut up. Let us in, and he says, "I don't know you. You didn't have enough. You didn't have enough respect to come on time. I, 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 I gave you invitation. I gave you plenty of information. I gave you plenty. I gave everything you needed to know, and you didn't heed the information. So I don't know you. It's not God's fault if people don't come to Christ. He's done what he's." called to do, he, called to do. He's, he's done what He said He would do. He would extend His hand of grace out to you and I and to our family members. And, and if they decide not to respond to the information, it's not God that should be blamed for that. It's the person. And He says, depart from Me. I don't care how long you sat at church. I don't care how many sermons you listened to. I don't care how many verses you knew. None of that matters. The reality is you respond to the invitation. Did you you enter through the door? There's no second chance here. You get one shot at this. And and to quote the great theologian Eminem, you know, you better lose yourself. Because if you don't, you will be lost forever. You'll be lost. Jesus doesn't accept fair-weather friends. He accepts real, genuine relationships with people that aren't playing church or fulfilling some religious duty or fulfilling some version of salvation that they made up in their own minds. That's not how it works. When the door shuts, it's shut. When Noah built the ark, there was one door. And you know what? God told Noah, you go through that door and you enter that door. You stay in that thing, that thing is going to save you. Because rain's coming now. They didn't understand what rain was. It would be like if I just told you, you know, hey, you know, Dusseldorf's coming, and you know, you, you don't know. Well, what is that? Well, little droplets of water are going to drop from the sky, and it's going to flood the earth. What does that look like? I don't know, but we'll know when it happens. It was faith that it took Noah to build the ark, right? It was faith that required him to do everything that he did, and he did it. And when the time came. And God said, Noah, get in the boat. It's time. Genesis chapter 7, verse 6. He goes in and he gets in the boat. And it says, God shut him in. God shut the door. Those people that were on the wrong side of the door experienced the wrath of God and they perished. The people that went through the door and went inside through the door were saved. That's salvation. That's the picture. God shut the door. And the door was going to be shut eventually. And FYI, Tubal Cain was not hiding on there somewhere. In case you saw the Hollywood rendition of Noah. I hope you're not getting your theology from Hollywood movies. Like, man, you know, the, the whole, you know, Exodus thing, that, that's not how it happened, but anyway. Um, don't get your theology from Hollywood. The reality is, is it matters what side of the door you open up on. Jesus says if, you op- if, you, if you're on the wrong side of the door, verse 28, you're going to be in the place where there is weeping gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a common expression that is, is meant to, um, to, to declare suffering and despair. That's what it means. It was an idiom that they used. They understood what it meant. For us, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Suffering and despair. You can just write those words, circle them in your Bible, write them next to it. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some, some people think they're smarter than God and one lady thought she was smarter than God and she said, well, hey, what if I show up and I don't have any teeth? And uh, the preacher said to her, well, they'll be provided for you. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Despair and Suffering. Apparently, when they're in that place of hell, the place of eternal damnation, apparently they are able to see through into into eternity. It says when they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. Now, that's hell enough, right? The fact that they can pierce through the walls and they can see what's happening in heaven... On the outside of the, the walls is outer darkness. the lake of fire. And yet they can see. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They can see into the kingdom of God. And what Jesus points out to these very Jewish people here is verse 29, and people will come from east and west and from north and south To recline and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? It's more than just you, Jewish people. People from all nations, tribes, tongues are going to come and they're all going to recline at the table of God if they enter through the door. Jesus said, Behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. William Barclay said about this, he said, there will be surprises in the kingdom of God. Those who are very prominent in this world may have to be very humble in the next. Those whom no one notices here may be princes of the world to come. Some will be uh, will be last will be first. Some who were first will be last. It's not all inclusive. It means there will be some you know, prominent Jewish people who will... You know, because it's all based on faithfulness. Be some lady that you've never, you never even heard her name, but she was, you know, she done so much work for God under the radar that nobody even knew, that she's elevated to this place of prominence in heaven because of her faithfulness to what God had given her. Be faithful to your to the ministry that the Lord's uh, called you to. Well, we're not going to get to verses thirty-one through thirty-five here. But it is interesting that right after Jesus talks about salvation, He talks about His heart for Israel. And He talks about how much it hurts Him to see them you know, fall away and the fact that they're unwilling to repent and come to Him. They're unwilling to come to the door. Jesus agonizes over people. He strives to draw you and He says, you got to strive. you, you got to know Me. you got to want to know Me. And if you want to know Me, the door is open to you. But understand, it's on a timer. And that door will be shut one day and you don't get to choose that time. Ultimately, personally, that's the way it works. Ultimately, the big picture is the door will be shut by God eventually as well on this whole world and the way that it operates. After the Millennial Kingdom, God, you know, after the 1,000-year reign, the door's going to be shut Everything else is going away. It creates a new heaven and a new earth, and it's all done away with. So what is the call to you today? If you're not in right relationship with God, the call is repent and get in the right relationship with God. If you, if you have been in right relationship with God and you're not today, the, right, uh, the call to you is to repent and get, and get back to Him. If you're walking faithfully with God today, and you're saying, what's the call for me as somebody who is walking faithfully, your call is to, to continue to go out and share people, share the gospel with people to tell them about the door because the door's closing. A- and the fact is that you, just like the father, would never give up on his child, don't give up on your family members. Don't give up on your friends. Don't give up on these people. Listen, if, if the door's been closed and their ears have been closed to you, then you do your business on your knees. Right? But that... But don't don't forsake bringing the gospel to him when the Lord tells you to. He knows what's going on in people's lives. You don't. Be faithful with what he's given you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Walk accordingly. It's pretty simple. If you will let, let the word of God do the work in your heart to tune your ear to the voice of God and you just follow like he called you to in the first place, life would be so simple. Just don't get in the way. That's what you can do. Lord, help me to obey you as a believer, to bring the gospel. Amen, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this door, namely Jesus, who came for us, who died for us, who rose again for us, so that we could be saved, so that we could have a path that leads to eternal life, in your glorious kingdom, Lord. We thank you today that you have called us to that door. And yet, for all of us here, by the word of our testimony, we would know, we we could declare that striving that took place in our own lives and what it looked like. Lord, let us not stop striving to know you. I pray, Lord, for every person in this room today that that striving would continue. Not in the sense of salvation, but in the sense of relationship if we're already in that place. But if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, Lord, that needs a relationship with you, you're calling them, you're drawing them today. You're wanting them to know that time is short. The door will close one day. And they don't want to be on the wrong side of eternity. They don't want to be on the wrong side of that door, Lord. Would you help them to know that this morning in their own heart? You would just draw them to yourself. If that's you here this morning, and God is just awakening your heart to the reality that you need Him, you want to get right with Him, that you just want to surrender your life to Him, you would lose yourself today for the sake of gaining life. You just raise your hand. God wants you to just surrender even now. If there's anyone here this morning wants a relationship with Jesus, just lift your hand in the air. We'll just pray a, pray a prayer of repentance and reception of Him. Anyone at all? Lord, we we do pray for our family members, Lord, those who are unsaved that don't know you. We ask even right now, Father, that you would just draw them. Lord, there's specific people in our minds right now that we're thinking, Lord, they need you so bad. Lord, we're we're calling upon them today. We're asking you. Draw them, Lord. Use us. Use somebody else. Help them to see who you are. Lord, we plead just as you pleaded over Jerusalem. For my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, that are walking strong in you. Lord, fill them with your spirit. Fill them with just a a passion to share Jesus like they never have before. Lord, to go out and take the gospel into the world for people to know who Jesus is. Just flood your hearts with your spirit now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's word.